pray. Dear Lord, we come before you on a Thursday night once again and ask that you would teach us from your word. Help us to put things in order as you have set them and understand their application to us today. Encourage us and strengthen us to serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We would and turn to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 15. And this is the covenant with Abraham. Now, uh, as we started last Thursday night, we're just going to go through the Bible. And where God calls it a covenant, uh, that's what we're going to study. Uh, um, how many times has God said he would do something uh, in the Bible? And, and there are those, as they study this idea of covenants, they want to make the whole Bible and everything in it, just one covenant right after another. And, and yet we have an emerging pattern that does not fit just every time God says, I'm going to do something. And uh, this pattern we saw with Noah. Uh, by the way, Noah did not get faith to build the ark when he had no faith. He already was living a life of faith when God came to him and said, I will establish my covenant with you. And God demanded faith by Noah, but God set all the rules. God said, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. And Noah obeyed. Now, that is what we call faith. Hence, one of the reasons why I want to do this study at this point as we're closing out a year of talking about the just shall live by his faith. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the words of God. I, I hope you see the pattern that is set here as Noah heard the words of God and obeyed them, the writer of Hebrews says, by faith. Noah built an ark. And God said, listen, I'm establishing my covenant with you. And I love that verse, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Read the next verse. And Noah was perfect in his generations. Does that mean Noah was perfect? No. But it meant that Noah came from a family that loved God and served God. And Noah's children after him loved God. And serve God. And so each generation of Noah's family, all the way back to Adam, Noah was a direct descendant, believed God. But what was the rest of the world doing? It says the imagination of their heart was only evil continually. And God judged. And if you're following with us in Sunday school, last Sunday we talked about the Tower of Babel. And yes, we do believe that God came down and confused the languages, just like the Bible says. And if you want to talk to Dr. Thomas Strauss, he uh, lives in Connecticut and uh, uh, runs a Bible college, took a couple of courses from him, and uh, one of those courses was Psalm 119. And uh, of course, what, what uh, I got out of Psalm 119 was preached here over a period of nearly 30-some, 40-some lessons, as we went through uh, Psalm 119, verse by verse. But uh, I did not bring to you 
much of what I learned in the class because uh, Dr. Strauss took that time to remind us almost three or four times every set of eight verses all of the linguistic similarities between Hebrew and English and French and German and all these languages that he knew and, and proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that Genesis chapter 11 is a true history because the languages are confounded. There's only one. It's Hebrew. It's God's language. Does that mean we should all learn Hebrew? Well, uh, Dr. Strauss, and I'll just quote him since I have been already, he says that's the language we're going to speak in heaven. And and so I look forward to that. Uh, I get a little tired of all of these scholars who claim to know their Bible, and the only language they know is, is Greek. You know why they don't know Hebrew? Because it's too hard to learn. And uh, if I learn a biblical language, I'm going to learn Hebrew first, and then I'll work on Greek. I already know enough Greek to reuse all the helps, but uh, uh, I just like that idea. I, I, I have uh, no way to argue with it. But we come down to chapter 12, It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, that would be Abraham later on. We'll find out why the name change and all of those things if you don't already remember from our Sunday school time. He says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless them, thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, this is what we classically call the Abrahamic covenant. The covenant of blessing, the covenant of nation. Uh, and, but yet God doesn't call it a covenant yet. Now, did Abraham obey the direction of God? Yes. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He got uh, only his uh, uh, nephew Lot and his father went as far as Haran, which was uh, a Syrian city at the north of the land of Canaan. And then uh, Abraham's father died there and Abram and Lot went down into the land of Canaan and And later, Lot would separate and move down into that southern plain, the area we now call the Dead Sea. Of course, it wasn't like that. When Lot moved there, the Bible says it was like the Garden of Eden. It was one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth. And uh, Abraham obeyed God. The next several chapters are going to be about Abraham's obedience And not-so-good obedience. What do we call not-so-good obedience? Disobedience, don't we? And um, never fails. Uh, I'll walk in to a situation in in the apartment or somewhere, and I said, I thought, I said, to take care of this. Clean the room, take out the trash, whatever the issue might be. And here's always the answer. Oh, but Dad, I did do some of it. And you see, partial obedience is what? Disobedience, isn't it? And that's why we have to be careful. And guess what? None of us qualify. 
for perfect obedience. We all like to think that that we are perfectly in our perfect in our obedience, or at least closer than the fella that lives next door. Amen. You have to be careful. You don't know who your next door neighbor is. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was somebody's next door neighbor. If you remember him, don't compare yourself to the next door neighbor. Uh, God is the standard. And when we compare ourselves there, we all fall short. And there's a reason for that. Because when we talk about the covenants, it's not about Noah building the ark. It's about God telling Noah when and how to build the ark. Do you see the difference? It's not about everything that Abraham did It's about what God said He would do for Abraham and how He's preserved him. The thing you have to understand about covenants is it's not about the human party involved. It's about God. Each covenant teaches us more about God. And so as we look here, God comes to Abraham or Abram at this time and He obeys And this promise is here, and Abraham uh, goes into the land of Canaan, and there's a famine there, and we're not sure why. We're not given the exact reasons of the famine, but there was going to be no harvest. And so, Abraham goes into the land of Egypt, and he sojourns there because there's food there. Familiar story, it's going to happen again. Uh, a couple of generations later, in the third generation, is Jacob will take his family at God's direction into the land of Egypt. And Abraham, Abram wakes up and looks around and said, these people don't fear God. Now, you've got to understand something. Abraham was about 75, 80 years old at this time. Sarah was 10 years younger. And Abraham is saying... My wife's a beautiful wife, and they're going to kill me to steal my wife. And you say, well, now, wait a minute. If Abraham was 75, that makes Sarah some, uh, 65. Um, uh, we don't have beauty contests for 65-year-old ladies. Uh, no, I just want to, you know, understand something. She was still taken and brought into Pharaoh's house. Abraham had something to be worried about. But did he worry about it the right way? Absolutely not. You never solve your problems your way. In fact, Abraham's going to pull this trick one more time with a guy named Philco. He's the captain uh, of a people group there that lived in the land. And Isaac is going to repeat that same thing to the son of the same man that Abraham lied to. And you wonder why the Philistines, the name of the people group, may have hated Israel so much because both Abraham and both Isaac lied to the Philistines and now a whole herd of these same people that had lied to them generations before. Let me tell you, people have long memories when Christians 
are a little less than honest, don't they? All I have to do is mention it was a bad year for preachers named Jimmy, and everybody knows what I'm talking about that was old enough to remember that. And if you don't, thank God uh, that you just don't remember all of those things because they're, they're, it's just not a good thing. And we have Abraham living here. And finally, we come to chapter 15. And it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, why would God address Abram that way as being his great reward? Because if you read chapter 14, Abram just took his servants and also the Philistines and and some of the Amorites with him, and they rescued the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, one of those was Lot and his family. And uh, Abram refused to take anything other than the food that the men had eaten from these uh, kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, listen, don't worry about what you might have lost by not taking a reward there. He says, I am your reward. Tell you what, if we could just get a hold of that, it would solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? The greatest thing that you can have is a, is a relationship with God, is it not? What greater thing could you possess? You know, I, I have uh, just spoken to someone who questioned, you know, and I, uh, what our church was here and why it was about. Just some questions there. And, and I said, listen, you've got to understand something. The greatest help that a person can have is to know who God is and how to have a relationship with Him. You know, once you take care of that, everything else kind of falls into place, does it not? Am I in the right church? If your relationship with God is right, then what else matters? If we could only get a hold of it. God told Abraham that. Abram at this time. Well, you'll forgive me if I call him Abraham. God's going to change his name when we get to chapter 17. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house, house is this Eliezer, of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and say, Look now toward the heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, do you get that? Abraham, Abram, at this time, just simply believed what God said. And God said, I'm going to count your belief for righteousness. 
Now, we're not going to take time to go through the next chapter. We're going to skip over chapter 16 on purpose, because chapter 16 is all about Abram listening to Sarah and concocting a plan to produce a child from Abraham's own bowels a different way than God had ever intended. And Ishmael was born. And God said, that's not the way I'm doing it. It's interesting. God makes this promise. Abraham believes God. It's counted to him the righteousness. In the next chapter, Abraham completely goes against what he just believed God had said. Doesn't that set up a pretty good illustration of what we do in our daily lives? I mean, we know what, if you're around this church very much, you know what the Bible says. Amen? We spend time explaining the Bible. And yet, if, if we were going to be honest, preacher included, how many of you messed up since Sunday? Every hand of every adult in here that knows what sin is would have to go up. We are such failure-prone people. This is what we need to learn about covenants more than anything else that the covenant is dependent upon God, not upon man. And so God, but man has his part. And look how Abraham uh, asked the Lord here in verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he, Abraham, said, Lord God... Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now look at how God answers him. Verse 9, we're going to read right through the end of the chapter. And he, God said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other, another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years." And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, And it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kezanites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Lots of ites. And uh, all of those names are people groups. If we were to take a map and transpose this area over it, it would be 
the entire nations of Israel, Lebanon, and Jordan. All, all three of those nations completely. Huge portions, and I forgot Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. Uh, almost the entire land that we call the Middle East, over half of Saudi Arabia would belong to Israel. Uh, all of the land, I mean, three-quarters of Iraq, uh, seven-eighths or so of the land of Syria, all of this is the land that God has promised to Israel. Now, as far as I know, studying our Bible, they have never actually controlled that entire stretch. Uh, under David, they did stretch out the border to the Euphrates River, but it did not run the entire length of the Euphrates River. Uh, uh, they certainly exercised a great deal of territory to the border of Egypt, but yet the Nile was considered more mid-Egypt than it was the uh, uh, eastern border of the land of Egypt. And so God made a promise to Abram. And it's, it's absolutely interesting here how that promise was made. Abraham took animals. A heifer, that's a female cow of three years old, and he cut the cow in half. How many of you have ever had to... Uh, butcher a large animal, lived on the farm or something like that. I mean, uh, uh, there's, uh, I mean, a three-year-old cow. I mean, you're talking five or six hundred pounds before you cut it up. And, and uh, a she-goat, a ram, still uh, the size of a large deer, and then a turtle dove and a pigeon, and he cut these the bodies of these animals in half, and he laid them in a pathway. And so we get to see into the um, uh, the culture. This is what we mean about understanding the Bible. Aren't you glad? I mean, I, I've said an awful lot of negative things about lawyers over the years, but I'll tell you what. I'd rather deal with lawyers than have to go get me a 300-pound, 500-pound cow and cut it in pieces and all these animals and then walk down the line between the bloody carcasses of these animals. Uh, There was, of course, sacrifice involved. Most of the time, uh, sacrifice would have included uh, the entrails of the animals, and then maybe when the covenant was made, the entire animals would have then been burnt. We, uh, the Bible doesn't give us a great deal of, of, of information here, but it does say that as the sun began to go down, God put Abraham to, Abram to sleep, and God walked the path between the animals, thus signifying that the covenant was made by and would be kept by God, yet who was the beneficiary of all the promises? Abraham was, wasn't he? Is this sounding a little bit like a parallel to what God does for us in salvation? Any, anybody seeing that yet? That's what I want you to see here. God is teaching us about himself. And nothing he does is without blood. There is always the blood of the innocent. Noah got off the ark. What did he do? 
he took that seventh animal of every clean animal and sacrificed them. His first act, his first duty after he got off the ark was sacrificing to God. There's always uh, blood involved in the covenant. And so, uh, God uh, gives Adam a t- Abram a time reference here. He says in the fourth generation, so we have Abram, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, Jacob's sons. Jacob's sons went into the land and it was actually there several generations and they came out of the land of Egypt and God said they would be there for 400 years. If you read the book of Exodus, it says that they were there 430 years. God's pretty accurate in his recording of time. Amen? And so they came out of the land of Egypt and came back. And God promised Abraham, or Abram this land. Now... I want to tell you that God also foretold of the enslavement of the Jewish people, of the descendants, and the destruction of Egypt as they came out. And all of those things were fulfilled in the book of Exodus to the extent that people who don't want to believe the Bible just say, well, he just put that in here as a prophecy so that it would look like, well, no, God knew What was going to happen? How many of you believe that? You see, if you believe what the Bible says about sin and righteousness, we don't have a problem believing that God could know something before it happens. Amen? Because he knew about every sin we would ever sin before he saved us. Now, just an aside here. If you knew every wrong thing that you would do in your lifetime, would you still save you? Or would you go, let's get rid of that rotten dude, huh? The patience and the love of God in keeping his covenants. Amen? Now we're going to go to chapter 17. Because we're going to skip chapter 16 because Abraham was doing things his own way. And we come here to chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine... The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Well, why was he telling him that? Because Abraham had just done all these things to circumvent God's promise and God's covenant. And he said, And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. And, uh, excuse me, for a father of many nations... Have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And uh, we find out as we read on farther down, it says, verse 15, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be, and I will bless her. And give thee a son also of her, yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah... Thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Now we see Abraham's name is changed to a father or a multitude of nations. And we uh, Sarah's name is changed to Sarah, which means princess for real. Uh, Franz has got all kinds of stories about names that mean princess. But this one really does mean princess. Amen? And uh, the uh, covenant is with Abraham and with his seed. And how long does it last? Forever. Just like the Noah covenant, hey, we still see the rainbow in the sky. There has never been a flood that has destroyed the entire earth since the days of Noah. God has kept his promise. And God has kept his promise to Abraham. Now, you have to be careful. There's a lot of people that hold up a Bible and say things against the Jewish people. I don't know how you do that. We've had some visitors come in and say, well, what are you going to do with all those uh, Jewish symbols in the windows? Oh, leave them there. Uh, we, we are not using this building as an entrapment device to try to trick Jewish people to come in here. It says, Open Door Bible Baptist Church, right over the door. I mean, we're, we're, we're not trying to uh, play any games. 
And we've had uh, many, actually, uh, descendants and families that used to attend here when it was a synagogue. And we welcome them in, let them look at the windows, and, and, and uh, they want to see grandpa's name or great-grandma's name in the window and all those things. We have no problem with that at all. And we explained to them right up front, well, what kind of church? I said, we're an old-fashioned, Bible-believing Baptist church. What that means is we just stick with the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And, of course, someone said, well, that's offensive, calling the Jewish scriptures the Old Testament. Not trying to be offensive at all, but if you open up the fly page of your Bible, it says Old Testament, New Testament. And... uh, But we preach them all here because we believe this is one book. And the covenant of Abraham, by the way, who's living in the land of Israel today? I just love to remind people about that. Someone said, they're not the real Jews. And, uh, yeah, makes me angry enough to throw my glasses. But uh, listen, they are the real Jews. And that land belongs to them. And that promise is made to them, not to the church. The church is not promised the land. The Jewish people are promised the land. And by the way, it still holds true. You bless Israel, you will be blessed. You curse Israel, you will be cursed. You want to know why America is having such difficulties? is because, and you can follow our economic decline. We've had president after president since George Bush Sr. did not like Israel. Ronald Reagan loved Israel. George W. Uh, the, George Bush Sr. tried to derail a lot of those things that Reagan had put in place. Bill Clinton was interested in Bill Clinton, so not much happened. The Obama administration is very adverse to Israel. The second Bush administration was a little better. But if you want to know why, you study the history of Great Britain. At the turn of the last century in 1900, arguably the greatest empire in the history of the world. Their boast was the sun never sets on the British flag. And that was true because they controlled Australia, India, many countries in between. Of course, the British Isles, the, the, the oceans of the world belonged to Britain. There was no, not even the American Navy was a challenge to, to the British Navy. 1917 was the Balfour Declaration. Does anybody a student of history remember that? It's where they promised to give the land to Israel. And then they rescinded that promise. By the time World War I is done, Great Britain is a third-rate world power. You just continue to look at these things. And you follow. And God says that Isaac was going to be the one. And so it is the Jewish people... The covenant stands forever. And if you'll read in Genesis, Exodus chapter 2, as the children of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt, what did God say? He remembered His covenant. 
He said, I will remember my covenant with Jacob, with Isaac, with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bring my people out. And he did. And he destroyed Egypt. We get down to Leviticus chapter 26. And God, through Moses, uh, in recording his law, testifies, prophesies actually. And, and we're not going to take time to go through the whole chapter. The verses, they're printed in your outline if you want to look it up and follow along in a moment as we read it. But God said, listen, if Israel sins... And they break my covenant, and I remove them out of their land. Then he says this, Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham. Will I remember, and I will remember the land. And God took Zerubbabel and brought the people back. And they rebuilt the temple. And they worshiped there again. In 70 A.D., Israel was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was laid level. The temple was ruined. The genealogical records were lost. No Jewish person today can prove their heritage or their lineage because it was all lost when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And in 1948... Israel was reborn as a nation. Could I challenge you? There is no parallel in history. Somebody said, well, it'd be kind of like giving America back to the American Indians. Uh, That hasn't even been 400 years. This was 70 A.D. to 1948. Do do the math. Over 1,800 years. Uh, What does that do? Let's let's take uh, 1620 and add 1,800 to it. I mean, what what year are we talking about here? 34 something? Uh, I I have no intentions of being around in 34 or whatever. I believe the Lord will have come back long before we get there. I expect Him in my lifetime. And yet, God said, I'm going to remember. And then the last one we want to look at, in Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham. He then included it in the covenant in Genesis chapter 17. And in Galatians 3.8, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. You see, God knew that Jesus would be the ultimate culmination of this promise. Jesus is a Jewish man, humanly speaking. Amen? He is also God, scripturally speaking. But when Jesus was born as a human being, it was to a Jewish mother. He was born in the city of Bethlehem. And the Bible tells us that we can be made the spiritual seed of Abraham... Through faith. Now you got to be careful. That doesn't mean we get the land. 
That belongs to the physical seed of Abraham. The church and Israel are not the same. This is one of the key truths to understanding your Bible as God intended it. If you try to make the church replacing Israel, you have to tear up so much Scripture. You have to rescind God's covenant between Abraham and his physical seed. You, you have to say that we're supposed to inherit the land, which would mean the Jews that are living there now are usurpers and fates and frauds. And, and by the way, if you want to tune in to the reruns of Menachem Schneerson and his band, they still teach that. Uh, the, the Pope has taught that for who knows how many centuries. All of these things go on. They've tried to use the, the crucifixion of Christ as a reason to persecute the Jews. None of that is true. This book you hold in your hand is a Jewish book. All of its authors, as far as we know, were Jewish men. Somebody said, well, what about Luke? He had a Greek name. Uh, he would be the only exception, and I find that exception a little hard to jump to. You see... God gave us the Scriptures through the Jewish people. It's part of the covenant that he made with Abraham. God hasn't forgotten that covenant. My hope and my prayer is our nation doesn't forget that God made that covenant. Amen? And that's one of the things you need to be praying about. Just a few notes and we'll finish this one up. Who's the originator of the covenant? God is. Who sets the parameters of the covenant? God did. Who is the keeper of the covenant? God is. Did Noah have a faith relationship with God before God entered into the covenant? Yes, he did. God doesn't just pick someone and say, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you and then gives them faith. You have faith before God enters into the covenant. Amen? And the work of keeping the covenant was God's. We, we didn't even take time tonight to go through the picture of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, which is also known as the Temple Mount, where God told Abraham to take his son Isaac and offer him there. And Isaac was a picture a living example of what Jesus would do in that very same place just a few thousand years later. You see, the parallels between what God has done for us and salvation and what God promised Abraham are strikingly similar. And this is one of the reasons why we believe the Bible is one book with one message. And that message is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If God's big enough to keep the promise to Abraham and history tells us that he is, no honest person can argue that God did not keep the promises made to Abraham.
Now, that doesn't discount the world is full of dishonest people. But we'll just let that one go. He'll keep his promises he's made to his church. He'll keep his promises he's made to us. But don't get confused. Those promises belong to Abraham and his physical descendants. We are part of all the nations of the world that get blessed through Abraham. And that blessing is faith in Abraham's God. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the covenants that are in it. And help us to be careful not to allow those who would like to read their own ideas and thoughts into the Scripture, but to keep it simple and scriptural. And Lord, we just ask that you would guide us in this study of your word and in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, as our custom is, we'll keep our heads bowed, our eyes closed. If you need to slip out and spend a few minutes at the altar in prayer.